All right, so uh, I have about 25 minutes, uh, give or take, to take you through cardiac arrest. Uh, this is a tough one to do, um, particularly between uh, your excellent uh, candid do a candid ventilate and uh, after this uh, post-ROSC uh, care. Um, I've tried to keep this as interactive as possible, so there will be a few exploratory um, Slido questions, uh, and I will call on the panel. Uh, to give some tips and pearls on uh, vascular access and, and cognitive aids in terms of uh, running arrest. Um, as Ben said, I'm a consultant in pediatric emergency medicine and I do some uh, critical care retrieval. Uh, on the side, uh, I am US trained and boarded uh, and now work here in the UK. And I also have um, uh, training and licensing in Ireland, uh, but I'm, I'm here for now. So I'll present something more of an international uh, approach and uh, uh, any um, uh, remarks are, are very welcome. So I tried to take a slightly new or nuanced view uh, uh, on this rather than uh, present death by uh, tables and algorithms and, and, and uh, PowerPoint. Uh, so I wanted to touch on, um, you know, how and the what of uh, cardiac arrest or managing cardiac arrest. Uh, the data is limited, but important we reflect uh, on it um, rather than uh, merely just uh, hammer home uh, the guidelines. So I'm going to talk about the effects of cognition under threat, microclimates in uh, healthcare teams, you know, crisis resource management principles. Uh, what are now being rebranded as human factors uh, over the last few years here. The approach of, you know, the importance of the first five minutes uh, as a QI initiative and as a, as a safety and quality metric. Uh, a brief review of vasoactive medications as they uh, uh, commonly go out of mind, uh, even with uh, Chris's excellent um, app and uh, tool. And then briefly, the ILCOR, um, the International Liaison Committee for Resuscitation uh, and the available data, which has driven our, our guidelines. There's much you could talk about even within cardiac arrest here. And uh, some of the prior talks have already touched on uh, trauma and penetrating trauma. Uh, and this is not going to be a detailed review of those guidelines or specific uh, nuanced situations or the role of uh, ECMO um, saving uh, CPR as it's it's not terribly applicable um, for us here since we don't have ECMO. Um, so I've also thrown in a few um, cognitive breaks. Uh, my favorite is uh, some of the Mark Twain quotes. Um, and uh, this is this is a great one when it comes to, to cardiac arrest. Work is a necessary evil best to be avoided. Uh, cardiac arrest is the type of thing where you'll, it's much wiser to put all your efforts into avoiding it in the first place. And when you find yourself in it, you're really caught between a rock and a hard place. Uh, uh, and uh, you end up, you, you do your best, but so much of the work as uh, Peter Donnelly spoke on, you know, in that candidate debate, candidate late situation is trying to, uh, avoid getting yourself in this position in the first place, you know, if at all possible, sometimes it's not. Uh, so one of the other pages I've taken out for teaching about cardiac arrest, although more commonly used in a simulation setting, is the basic assumption, you know, and I, I still inherited this one from my time in Boston. Uh, 
talking about really complex, nuanced topics. Uh, it's you know it's it's very common for people to get defensive uh, for you know uh, hearing and listening to close down, and so it's really important, particularly when you're in a group. Um, of medical professionals, you know, that we recognize that everyone participating in these activities, whether it's this lecture or a sim, is intelligent, well-trained, cares about doing their best and actually wants to improve. Uh, and that really sets sets the scene for trying to learn about complex and difficult uh, situations. This is actually a Churchill quote. I'm always ready to learn, although uh, do, I do not always like being taught. You know, this is very much uh, apply when you're trying to teach these high stress situations how do we do better what is mastery learning in the setting of team resuscitation and cardiac arrest while early in all of our medical uh, and nursing careers we learn first of all about what do we do what do we do in this situation but oftentimes the second half which is almost as important uh, is the how how do we do it and this is what really freaks out a lot of people in cardiac arrest and in particular pediatric cardiac arrest. It's a child. How do you approach it? What do you do? It's very easy for a lot of us who have done this and have decades of training to sit up and talk uh, about how we do it. But, you know, the fear of the approach, uh, the chaos of the room uh, is uh, oftentimes uh, people's biggest concern. This reflects the crisis resource management your human factors, how do you deal with crowds and noise? Do you use a set tool? What cognitive aids do you rely on? And then secondly is the what do you actually do? And this is what informs our practice from guidelines from Resuscitation Council, depending on where you're at, the American Heart, the European Resuscitation Council, RCUK, ALSG, et cetera. Bearing in mind that a lot of these guidelines are based off this exact same data that comes from ILCOR, uh, or large registry studies, which commonly come from the AHA called the Get With the Guidelines um, uh, registries. And this is what really forms the, the evidence basis for what we do in cardiac arrest. I've mentioned it a few times, so I wanted to uh, introduce this to you for those of you who, who don't know about it. ILCOR is the International Liaison Committee on Resuscitation. This is the uh, academic, this is the, the research-driven uh, heart of what sets the evidence base and the standards or the recommendations for uh, resuscitation, particularly in cardiac arrest, in hospital, out of hospital. Uh, and uh, these recommendations are then interpreted by guidelines, as you can see from the different resuscitation committees here, uh, from Inter-American Heart, Resuscitation Council of Asia, the whole way around, um, the oldest of which is uh, the American Heart, founded in 1924, just over 100 years ago uh, at this stage. Uh, and uh, is no surprise that's where a lot of the actual uh, data come from because they have the largest registries. So the first case, well, I've, I've designed this so that there's primarily going to be one case. If there's time, um, I have a second one, uh, but I'm aiming to stick to time uh, depending on how much feedback and discussion we get. So case one, or the case, a six-year-old male presents with vomiting and diarrhea for five days. He seemed to get better, but today is less active, less responsive. He had an initial fever, but none in the last 24 hours and just had the typical reduced appetite and urine output. His temperature is 37.2, heart rate's 126, respiratory rate's 28 breaths a minute, BP 68 on 38, and O2 sats are 93 on room air. His physical exam findings are significant for lethargy, tachycardia, 
threading peripheral pulses and a cap refill time of five seconds with cool extremities. During his exam, he loses his pulse and is asystolic on the monitor. So I want you to put yourself in this situation. You've been examining the patient, they look rough. Maybe you've brought them into recess preemptively and during your exam, you lose access. The cavalry's on its way, someone's on the chest and where do you first go for access? So I wanted everyone to log on and give me their own thoughts. In a very selfish way, I am uh, I'm hoping to learn uh, some things from all of you as well as uh, the shared panel. Uh, so I really was is in, I'm really interested in actually seeing you know where people develop their own individual practices. Where do you like going? Where are you most comfortable uh, you know going? Um, oftentimes there's multiple people. Um, Tudor and Stephen talked about the horizontal approach and setting of trauma. Multiple things happen at the same time, you know. So we've got a big, big preference for IO, which I I love, um, and I'll I'll cover that a little bit uh, later on. Uh, a lot of people going for the antecubital, the ACF. Long saphenous is very possible. People talk about two ACF attempts. Uh, um, one IV and then IO, you know, um, where do you go? But very, very quick to IO, um, which is excellent. Peripheral so tough, particularly in uh, shock, dehydrated, no cardiac output, you know, the, the, the size of the vein is going to be. And I see EJ as well, um, which is another handy one in a tight spot. Cool. Well, thank you. So you get that. You get your line. Uh, actually, no, here, the other thing I wanted to do on this uh is the panel is still on. Uh, I wanted to, uh, from my own selfish perspective, ask some of our uh, esteemed and experienced uh, panel, where is your, so leaving aside IO, because the standard places for that. If someone's getting an IO and someone's trying to go for another IV attempt, is, you know, do you weigh for peripheral, ultrasound peripheral, like a, a brachial, or, uh, or do you go for, a dirty femoral line, or what is the panels uh, uh, often kind of go to in uh, in a difficult access to get quick access in cardiac arrest? External jugular. Um, I agree. I I O first an external jugular second. If if it's not an option, you know, somebody at the bottom end with ultrasounded guided femoral would be just a cannula in the femoral would be ideal for this. Because the top end, you might be intubating the airway and managing it. It depends how quickly you're you're doing the second line. Yeah. If I already put the tube in and I'm standing at the top of the bed, give me a cannula and I'll stick it in the neck while somebody holds the tube. I go femoral, usually for getting at the head of the bed space-wise with all the other stuff that's going on, same as what Chris said there. So I tend to find practically that it's a, a femoral cannula. So same case, the addition is you get your access and a second line. And after you know your line access CPR and you get one dose of uh, IV epi, forgive the Americanisms, the adrenaline, uh, you get ROSC, you get a return of spontaneous circulation. The next quote from Mark Twain, the right word may be effective, but no word was ever as effective as a rightly timed pause. So you walk in to a resuscitation room and it is chaos. 
you know, either before or after the patient arrives. You know, this applies to both. If you have 30 seconds to get your head in the right space uh, or whether you kind of walk in and you need a summary and to take charge of the situation. These things that you rely on, pauses, uh, uh, tools, things that you use, you know, um, cognitive aids, you know, that allow you to cognitively offload in some of the most, you know, high stress, low frequency events that we manage, you know, in, in medicine, in healthcare. I wanted, again, in the same kind of way to get everyone's uh, perspective, what have you guys used, developed, you know, discovered in your travels and all the places that you've worked? What is most, <laughs> we love our acronyms, what is our most favorite uh, cognitive aid that you know you go to? I'll I'll say my my one really is the stop clock. I my first um, crutch uh, walking into a cardiac arrest uh, in a kid is the stop clock, and my my Belfast colleagues laugh at me because I, I I got in within a few months of starting here two stop clocks over the two trauma bays in our resus room because I want to know you know down to the second where are we at you know are we which two minute cycle are we at the first round have we hit the second round are we four minutes are we still non-shockable where are we going so for me my biggest uh, cognitive aid and crutch that i use is is the stop clock wet flag absolutely fabulous um that's often kind of do it getting done in the background Someone already has that up. Our nurses in Belfast here are outstanding for having that straight up first one there. Uh, thinking out loud is a fabulous one. Closed loop communication, read back, feedback is uh, critical. For those of you who aren't as familiar, might be slightly Americanized at this stage. The closed loop is the repetition afterwards, you know, and so that uh, following up on the leader's part is no longer necessary. I will come back and let you know when this is done. H&Ts, roles, algorithms, sound on the monitor. That can be a tough one because oftentimes the room is so crazy. You're trying to listen to the monitor or the tone of your sats, you know, uh, beeping and you probably aren't going to hear it, uh, particularly in the ED if it's that chaotic, you know, uh, in an elective theater setting, it's a little uh, quieter. Roll the fire. It is great. I love that we're getting so many different uh, tools, you know, and I think it really speaks to the value. Everyone's seeing different things and what do they actually rely on? And so everyone, you know, feel free to, you know, take a snapshot of that. You know, you can see what everyone's using, you know, to keep their head uh, when, when others are losing theirs uh, in a cardiac arrest setting. So what, how does our thinking change? Cognition and behavior are under threat. Is, is the terminology, you know, how do we as leaders, how are our thinking patterns, what are the systematic errors of thinking, our heuristics, when we're put under pressure? We perceive the threat and crisis initially. This obviously leads to psychological stress, anxiety, and the physiological arousal, you know, the sweaty palms, the tremulousness uh, uh, that you experience, you know, you know, every time, even though you know what's coming, you know. This goes and can be defined uh, or divided into restrictions in your thinking and your processing, and then, you know, actual behavior as well. 
in terms of your thinking and processing, you rely on your prior expectations. You know, this is your representativeness, you know, kind of buyer, uh, bias. You know, a kid comes in, was hit by, you know, a car, you come in and, you know, says cardiac arrest, you get Rosk and you're focused on the head. It's like, okay, there's going to be an isolated head and maybe you're going to miss, you know, the belly or the leg or, you know, or the back if you don't roll them over in a timely uh in a, in a timely fashion your attention towards dominant cues you know the big dramatic things draw your eyes draw your attention and away from your peripheral ones which again comes back to what you already identified yourselves in terms of the need for uh your your acronyms your algorithms your systematic approach but your behavior is also impacted you know you've got the tendency towards well-learned dominant responses uh, the Navy have the great uh, saying that while you may rise to the occasion, you often fall to the level of your basic training. So when you're put under stress, you will default to your well-learned, your dominant responses. You know, if you've seen a lot of them, you'll typically tend to fall into the same pattern because that's what you know. That's what you've done before. You rely uh, increasingly on your leader. You know, if you're not leading, if you're on the side, you know, and you're on access or you're on airway, you know, you're, you're task fixated and you're relying on direction from the leader. And then the same, um, uh, you know, as, as applied to your drive. Microclimates in this setting, you know, talking about access and then airway and teams, it's rare, unless sometimes low staffing in a DGH, will you be on your own? You know, there you will have an assist. You'll have someone else helping you get blood, fluids, while you're doing a line, while you're on airway uh, or intubating the patient, you will have someone handing you your tube, you know, and you are in your own little um, world, your own little climate, trying to do the task that you have been assigned or your A, B, or C that you've been assigned as well. And within that, it's been identified that there is a dynamic there. It's not only leader to person at the airway it is the climate that exists in there you know uh the picture demonstrates clearly the the two climates in, in theater separated by what's often uh, uh jokingly termed the blood brain barrier uh and two completely different conversations and worlds occur here without uh a lot of direct communication the data is long-standing uh, and shows that much thinking, acting and non-acting communicating happens because of these sub-team dynamics, what goes on under the surface. And indeed within microclimates, you can have distinct norms and understandings of the team in the situation that, that exist completely separately. So not only just are you focused on your task, which is a separate uh, relevant point, but also you know within two or three kind of microclimates, there can be a different understanding of the situation. It goes back to the to the, the the Indian proverb of you know the definition of the elephant by you know different parts, one leg, the other leg, the trunk. Someone mentioned the crisis research management, and everyone kind of knows this, which again is another great kind of reflexive tool, you know, and resource uh, for um, these situations. They're not as practically or physically helpful as cognitive aids. Uh, but um, I, I use them on any debriefing session um, for a cardiac arrest or team. So going back to the case, so after fluid resuscitation, he's another cardiac event and again responds to adrenaline. He undergoes intubation and is now vital signs, temperatures 37, heart rate's 135, respiratory rate's 20, ventilated, BP 78 on 43, SATs are 97% on 50% FiO2. 
Lungs are clear, normal heart sounds, cap refill is improved at three seconds, pupils are good, glucose is fine. Most appropriate next step in management for this patient is dextrose, adrenaline, sodium bicarb, or vasopressin. Perfect, yes, adrenaline, particularly even peripheral adrenaline uh, is you know, critical in this because the time at which you're most likely to have a cardiac arrest is just after you've had a cardiac arrest. So the kid is still hypotensive. It could be cardiogenic shock deteriorating into asystolic cardiac arrest that eventually responded. However, he's still a bit hypotensive and tachycardic. IV adrenaline or epinephrine is the most appropriate given its alpha and beta adrenergic effects, giving you both peripheral vasoconstriction and inotropy. Vasopressin, although useful for vasoconstriction, is usually reserved for catechol refractory hypertension. And while the kid's acidotic, uh, the empiric use of sodium bicarbonate has not been shown to improve outcomes. As you all likely remember uh, from some time in the past, your adrenaline and noradrenaline uh, are your common go-to drugs for different types of shock, but uh, adrenaline particularly in the post-arrest cardiac uh, situation primarily driven by your uh, beta receptors at uh, those lower doses, uh, and you titrate to the patient accordingly. Just be aware you will get more alpha as you go to high dose on your epinephrine, on your adrenaline. So the first five minutes, you know, to an approach, the recognition and the immediate treatment and time to, uh, time to adrenaline is, you know, what really improves. QI and education initiatives uh, have shown that this improves not only the quality of the resuscitation, um, uh, so not only the start, but also the quality of this resuscitation. And there's been a number of studies done using video-assisted uh, recording of resuscitations in this paper with 33 hospital mock codes, um, uh, and also with two prior studies, you know, particularly educating your resuscitation nurses in the ED and the ICU. Leadership and teamwork, looking again at the first five minutes, you know, uh, looking at retrospective video reviews, again, pre-arrival tasks. Most people uh, have your wet fly, have set up your wet, your weight, your airway setup. 84% already have your adrenaline dose prepared, you know, your defibs ready, and half of them had their IO kit out. Numbers were small. There was no real relationship between how long, you know, uh, the pre-arrival um, notification was given and the task completion in the ED setting. Within the first five minutes after arrival, 84 provided a care summary by the team leader. Two thirds have had a CPR and a pulse check uh, and also established IV and IO access and defib pads were placed in about uh, a quarter. Most critical task prepared, uh, done within a minute. While on this, the first five minutes, you know, John Hopkins um, has a great approach, the rapid cycle delivered practice, which focuses on rapid cycling, you know, focus uh, to employ mastery learning and crisis research management, you know, performance, particularly excellence, mastery learning during those first five minutes and doing it again, repetition, hands-on time during low volume, high risk, time-sensitive patient events. I've placed the, uh, the the link there, both for Hopkins and Debrief to Learn is another excellent resource for anyone looking to take this back. Why do I focus on the first five minutes? So intrahospital cardiac arrest. 15% received the first dose of epinephrine more than uh, five minutes after the cardiac arrest. Lots of people get it in early, particularly if you already have it drawn up before the patient arrives, if you're lucky enough to have an expect uh, arriving in the ED. Indeed, you can see here 37% received it within the first minute, you know, whether or not they come in 
uh, with an IV in place, or as many of you uh, had already elected to go to IO. Early adrenaline is associated with better survival. Uh, longer time to adrenaline associated with lower survival in this multivariate, uh, lower uh, survival to discharge in multivariate analysis. Now, the statistical effect, uh, while significant, you can see clinically is, is small, just under uh, 1.95 with your confidence intervals at the upper limit of 0.98. And here you can see on the figure three, the difference and what you're really seeing is a, a statistical difference between uh, time to epinephrine at zero one and then up to six or more uh, minutes uh, from, from presentation. So what you might interpret this as is maybe it's not so much your time to adrenaline, you know, but how quickly you get IV access, which goes back to our first kind of question. So after looking at that and after our initial discussion, uh, has anyone changed their mind? Put these in order of preference. Uh, after your first failed uh, attempt, you know, so they come in without access, you can't get your first IV peripherally or, you know, bigger. Where do you go uh, next? What is your order of preference? Bearing in mind that, you know, if a lot of the data are showing that, uh, you know, time to adrenaline is, you know, associated with survival hospital discharge, you know, uh, vascular access is the surrogate here. So IO, EJ, ultrasound femline, another PIV. And I think this is this is exactly right. You're going for those top three um, uh, in some capacity. The AJ get with the guidelines registry, looked at over 1,600 in-hospital cardiac arrests and divided it thus. Uh, the interesting finding was that, you know, similar to adult, some adult data uh, was that an increased interval um, uh, was associated with better survival of spacing over the, the usual kind of two to five, three to five or four minute uh, adrenaline um, doses. But what this really is a resuscitation time bias, given that there are other reasons that people may not survive um, uh, as it goes on longer. Briefly, this is the ILCOR data um, and the publications in JAMA from Lars Anderson, who was at Critical Care Reviews here in Belfast last year. Um, the forest plots from his paper does show, uh, or the, the ILCOR uh, systematic review, that there is benefit across all these markers, ROSC, 24-hour survival, survival hospital discharge, and survival with a good neurologic outcome, the quicker you get epinephrine or adrenaline, less than five minutes, and also similar data for less than three, if you can even get it in that earlier. Out of hospital cardiac arrest, 1,400, and a propensity score matched cohort for similar kids Sensitivity analysis here, excluding who had ROSC or termination of resuscitation within five minutes of your uh, ALS arrival, um, which something, you know, somehow accommodates for resuscitation bias, shows a trend, but no significant association with survival and time to um, uh, adrenaline, as you can see here on the graph. However, this is likely underpowered. The maths or sample size calculation coming from an adult out of hospital cardiac arrest study designed to enroll 8,000 patients to detect a risk ratio, so a small risk ratio of 1.25 on 30 day of survival. And this is the primary outcome here. So on the sensitivity analysis, only the bottom line, the pre-hospital ROSC still remains significant, which really just shows how difficult it is to get these data um, to really learn and know what is most impactful. So. In this brief whistle-stop tour, um, I've talked about uh, cognition under threat, 
microclimates and healthcare teams in the setting of cardiac arrest resuscitations. Crisis research management principles. Uh, I've hoped to impart to you the importance of the first five minutes, recognizing and time to adrenaline, uh, a brief review of your vasoactive medications and the introduction to ILCOR, who often uh, offer academic uh, help for conducting systematic reviews in this area if resuscitation is your thing, and some of the available data for pediatric in and out of hospital cardiac arrests, which really is the foundation for all of the resuscitation guidelines. That's it. Uh, I'm not sure if we've got time for any uh, residual or remaining questions, um, but even to the panel or to the uh, listeners, thank you very much. Thank you, Peter. Um, really good. And nice to see a talk on cardiac arrest, which isn't just a list of algorithms and making us think a bit more about why why we do what we do and, and how we think about what we do. Um, we, we probably have time for maybe one maybe two questions if there is any from the panels or any comments from panel members. One of the things I find really useful during a cardiac arrest is to offload as much of the simple running of the arrest to the scribe as you can. You know, so I'll ask them to call the pulse check site, I'll ask them to call the adrenaline and actually leave me just to think about what is going on with this patient, what do I need to do to find the reversible cause and do something about it. Whereas I find if you're actually trying to run the arrest and actually work out what's wrong it can be a bit too much and do it effectively and i think the other thing you talked about peter was closed loop communication that's really important because it's so easy when you are leading an arrest to ask somebody to do it but unless you direct it to a particular person everybody assumes that somebody else is doing it and it doesn't get done or else three people go off to do the same thing so actually that directing you're giving direct clear instructions but then also asking them to tell you when it's done allows you to know and, and check that off in your head that it's, it's actually being done not yeah, not the cognitive much. uploading and the cognitive aids are the singular most important thing to kind of get through and keep everyone on task. Your two-minute bundles and cycles, and when it comes back, as Chris said, so you can free yourself up as the leader to actually think about what's going on. What do I need to do next? 